We're so grateful today for the work of Christ, and so we even, as we've gathered in this place, we gather in the presence of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we do that with a profound sense of your infinite holiness and your greatness. We are amiss if we don't give thanks to you because you are good, your mercy endures forever. Help us who fear you now declare that, that your mercy endures forever. We, in many occasions, have called upon you in our distress, and you've answered us and you've set us in a broad place. We know that you are on our side, and therefore we do not fear. We don't wonder what man can do to us because the Lord, you are for us. We gladly acknowledge that it is better to trust in you than it is to put confidence in man, in our own flesh. This day we approach your word today because it is living and powerful, sharper than even the two-edged sword, and we're asking that you would do a great work in the hearts and lives of each who listen today. There are many needs represented, some physical, some spiritual, We're praying that you, by both the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, even this family of God, that those needs would be addressed. Father, even work in the heart of this preacher that that I might accurately set forth the, the truth of your Word and do that for my own profit, but also for the profit of each who hear. We're grateful to be here today. We love the Lord Jesus and want to honor him in this worship time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I know Pastor Jim and Sean will encourage you to remember, but this evening, tonight, we're having a special service at Ankeny Baptist Church, and Northridge Baptist Church is uh, invited en masse to come and be with us. We're looking forward to that. We have several things that we'll be doing this evening, and we really look forward to that. Glad to have Gabriel and Brenna be a regular part of our ministry here. And in a little bit, uh, of course, next week, John Jenks is going to be preaching for you, uh, Baptist Church Planter President. And then uh, following that, Gabriel is going to preach that week. I have some responsibilities at church that I need to care for uh, that morning. So Gabriel is going to do the pulpit ministry that day, and I know you'll encourage him uh, even as he prepares for that. In that passage in Acts chapter 4, part 2 this week, and I depend upon you to see if you can remember from last week a little bit, but you have some of this on your outline. Uh, I want you to think about a a church that is great before God. It's not necessarily a church that is large or small. It really is not at all uh, dependent upon the size of a church. There are many large churches that are not great. There, There are many small churches that are indeed, in God's sight, they're great. I remember a pastor mentor of mine saying about preachers, he said, remember, David, he said, remember that there are some big men in small churches and there are small men in big churches. They don't necessarily relate to size. And that's really true about even churches. It's not that a church is great because it is influential or power or its preacher is well known. Rather, a great church is one that is literally consumed and overwhelmed by the might and majesty, the infinite nature of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They have experienced not only individually, but collectively, corporately, the love of Christ 
It's even that text in 2 Corinthians 5 where it says, and if I were to ask you to quote 2 Corinthians 5.14, you would all pipe in and say, for the love of Christ constrains us. Because we thus judge if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, verse 15, that we who live, and that we is a collective we. It's not merely an individual we. That we who live should no longer live for ourselves, but rather for Christ who died for us and rose again. What makes a great church is that we together no longer live for ourselves, but rather we live for Christ corporately as well as individually for him who died for us and rose again. That's what makes a great church. And so last week we began walking through this text And I'll also look a little forward as well as a little backward uh, in today's message. But last week we looked at a great church is a church with a powerful ministry because the Spirit of God lives within. The Spirit was present. And the Spirit was transforming people. You cannot read the early part of the book of Acts without realizing that it was the presence of the Holy Spirit that made this early baby infant church a great church. And so, though our, uh, our distance is far from the day of Pentecost, we really need to ask ourselves those questions. Is this church, is Ankeny Baptist Church, is Northridge Baptist Church, do we bear the evidence of being full of the Spirit of God, that we are filled with Him? And remember, uh, this would be interesting. I didn't put this on the outline. Do you remember the three marks of the filling of the Holy Spirit that I gave you last week, two of them were negative. And this, that, that's not a rhetorical question. Does anybody remember those? This would be where you answer. The first was, don't quench the Spirit. The second was, don't grieve the Spirit by sin. Don't quench the Spirit with selfishness. Don't uh, uh, grieve the Spirit by sin. And thirdly, to walk with the Spirit. So those are really the three New Testament ideas about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So the questions that we must ask, are we filled with the Spirit? And then the first century church was a church uh, that was, uh, uh, was with great grace. And that phrase that Gabriel read, and great grace was upon them all. Literally the word great there is the word that we gain our English word mega from, a megaphone. You understand what that means. Uh, I, I, I was uh, eating at uh, Jethro's a little while ago, and they've got several dotted around the metro. And in Ankeny, they have up there the Adam Emenecker. You remember what that is? That, that's that mega sandwich that they challenge you to buy. And I forget what the calorie content of it is, but it's huge. And you win a prize if you can eat it in 15 minutes. And I couldn't even begin to think about eating it in 15 minutes, let alone to do it. It's a a mega sandwich. It's really big. Uh, Mega grace. Now, uh, again, let let me be informal with you. Give give me, would you, the one word definition for grace. Synonym for grace would be what? Favor or kindness. And then the two word, let's add the adjective now, is what? the unmerited favor of God, it is, thirdly, we noted, it is best exemplified and seen in the person and work of Christ. John 1 says that he came 
The Word was made flesh. He dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And if you can remember John 1.14, he says, remember, he's full of what? Grace and truth. And so, if you want to really know what grace is, then look at Jesus. Look at his death at Calvary. Look at his substitutionary death for you, a sinner. And see there the, the wonderful, unmerited favor of God to meet a sinner who deserves hell, but rather has been given the kindness and favor of God in the work of Christ. And so, it's in the life and death of Christ, but then it's also something that is very contemporary. And I, I constantly need, need to remind myself of that. Grace is not merely what God gives to save me. Grace is what God gives me today to live effectively for Him. And so, grace is... Uh, very contemporary. I've defined it in this way. This is not on your outline, but I, I, I have about four or five different definitions for this. But uh, my wife and I have learned this definition. You ready to write it down? Go ahead. It's, it's God's current provision to meet my momentary need. It's God's current provision to meet my momentary need. For example, do you know what this day holds for you? Now, we make our plans, but you don't know everything that this day holds for you. He might uh, have a great day of great blessing for you. And so he'll give you grace in order to thank him and praise him. It may be you walk out the door and you have a, a very significant tragedy that you have no idea is going to occur. And God will give you his momentary provision his current provision to meet your momentary need. And so I could appeal to a number of texts of Scripture, but I would take too long to do that this morning. But just remember that grace, it's not merely something that's way in the, for me, I, I came to Christ as a 10-year-old boy, so let me do the math. I, I guess that would be 1965, it would be, because I wasn't quite 10 yet. Uh, so, so grace is just 1965 for me. No, grace is 2021 for me. Uh, I, I didn't sleep hardly at all last night. I don't know. What, I had tons of things on my mind. And so I, I got up this morning, and I, I know you got up, and we're all refreshed and ready for the day, right? Just eager for the day. Was there anybody like that at all that just got up and was raring to go? Good. There's one of you, two of you, a couple me, I, I, I got up and said, Lord, this is, I've got a long day of ministry today and very little sleep. I, I need your grace. I need your help today. And, and he's already done that. And we'll do it. So here's the, here's the church that is great graces upon them. Now, just to make some application for you as a church... You have many needs as a church. And to, to effectively make disciples for Christ as a local church, you do not have the wherewithal to pull it off. However, God's grace, His current provision to meet your momentary need, can, you make, can make this church the kind of church that can be effective in reaching its community for Christ. So I just remind you of that. 
Great grace is upon them. Now, new material. This was a church with profound productivity. God was at work in a very large way. For example, you'll look at it in Acts 4.32. Do you see the little word in our New King James text? And it says, now the multitude... It's, it started with 3,000, and then there were, uh, in Acts chapter 4, uh, early in the text, Acts chapter 4, there are 5,000 men that respond to the gospel message. And uh, there, there, the Lord in Acts 2 and verse 47 says, the Lord is adding daily those that were being saved in Acts 4, 34 to 37, we're not told exactly how many, but many bring gifts. And so we're going from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000 to now a multitude of people. And it is believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women. If you looked at chapter 5 and verse 14, you quite literally see a mushrooming of growth in that early church. Now, the question that I have for you, how could that occur? Were these early people, as members of the church, were they geniuses about the church? Did they know much about the church? They, they hardly knew anything about the church. They were, matter of fact, Acts chapter 4, remember in the healing of the lame man, that they, uh, the Jews looked at, Peter and John, and they said, you've not gone to any of the rabbinical training schools. You've only walked and talked with Jesus. You're just, if I were to translate that by interpretation, the idea is you're a bunch of numbskulls from the backside of Galilee. You don't know anything. You've not gone to the right schools. So they, they didn't have expert training. However, they boldly preached the gospel of Christ by the power of the Spirit. And it is the preaching of the cross. Remember, I would just have you uh, at least flip it in your mind. Remember 1 Corinthians 1, how it says that the preaching of the cross is to those that perish what? Foolishness. But unto us who believe, it is what? Power of God. In your conversations with people, just understand that as you communicate the gospel of Christ not regarding whether they accept even the authority of the message that you will communicate to them, that God can use that message to reach them and to penetrate their blindness and their sin. I have to continually remind myself of that. You'll notice in chapter 4, verse 33, with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. So let's be really, really simple. What is, it, what is it that I as an individual, and what is it that you as an individual, what is it that you as a local church must give priority to? The same thing that Peter and the others were doing. They were testifying to the resurrection, to the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, to people, and great grace was upon them. God was giving his favor in that people were then responding. They would let nothing keep them from preaching Christ, 
not the threats that were made against them, not their interrogation by the Jews, not their detainment by the authorities, and later not even the controversy of the Greek widows who were not being cared for. I think it's far too easy for a church to allow some of the immediate pressing things, what we think about as being urgent to move us from the primacy of sharing, of preaching, of teaching the gospel of Christ, putting that in contact with unsaved people. And so the church functions best when it has a specific external ministry in preaching the gospel to its community. I, I, I want to speak, let me just speak only about of Ankeny Baptist Church. I won't speak about Northridge Baptist Church. I think you can make the parallel. Let me just speak about our church. That it's very easy for a local church to think only and solely about ministries that are internal. Where we are ministering to each other. We're we're in our holy huddle. And we are uh, encouraging each other. And we're ministering to, to each other. And we're really busy in doing that. And we don't give any real concerted effort, planning, Uh, discipline to think about external ministry to our community. And in this church, one of the things that made them a great church was they, they had a continuous external outreach to their community. Now, just a good example. Jim was sharing with me before the service. Uh, Chuck's just opened up. Uh, for uh, carry-out service. They've been closed for the duration of COVID and for remodeling and different things. And so he took a, 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 a welcome basket of flowers down to them to try to just build a relationship with somebody in the community. Who are you connecting with in the community in order to share Christ with them? Because this church here in the first century had a specific external ministry that was continuous and it was a great priority. And that was they continued to testify to the death and the resurrection of Christ and it says that great grace was upon them. I'm just saying about Ankeny Baptist Church. It's very easy for us to become preoccupied with internal ministry. So, for example, on your personal prayer list, um, I I have a list of about, uh, right now it's about 15 people by name for whom I am praying because they don't know Christ and I have some kind of relationship with them. Do you have something like that that you're going through as as an individual? As a local church, do we have specific people that we are asking, God, we need you to save these people? You see, this is external ministry. And we become so preoccupied with internal ministry that often the external focus has been lost. See, fourth, not only is it a church that is profoundly productive, it is a church that is unified and giving. And you'll see that in... uh, in our uh, text, it speaks of this in, in verse 32. It speaks of being of one heart, 
and one soul. Um, sometimes husbands and wives are like that. And sometimes this is helpful. By the way, I don't suggest this all the time, but if, if a husband and wife have known each other a long time, sometimes one spouse will start a sentence and the other will finish it. Now, I don't recommend that all the time. <laughs> Not necessarily healthy for good relationships. But, but sometimes we're, we're of, of such one heart and one soul that someone can start something and I can finish the sentence and know exactly what they were going to say. Uh, if I lay my hands over like this, you see, now in theory, uh, our hands, did you realize your face is not symmetrical, that your left side of your face is a little different than your right side of the face? It is. You, you, you want to look it up. And my hands are not exactly symmetrical, but you, you get, when I overlay my hands on each other, that they are one heart and one soul. And, and so there's that, that, that commitment to the work of Christ. There is values that we have in common. It's really important what Sean is doing in your following uh, Bible study hour to communicate. Here are, the, here are the values and the vision and the theology that, that, that serves as the unifying uh, principles of our church ministry. How, how really important and vital that is, this church was uh, unified and it was giving. So there was unity and there was sacrifice. Th- they were willing to give everything they had to get the job done. They gave their lives. Uh, they gave their money. They uh, gave their time. They gave their all. They, they literally didn't hold back anything. Sacrifice, you see, should not be merely um, once in a while. It should not be the old phrases, do you know what a blue moon is? I think it's a blue moon is when there's a full, uh, when there's a full moon twice in a month. It's not that it's blue, it's just that's called the blue moon. So, some people sacrifice once in a blue moon. Or, or when somebody puts the guilt trip on you strong enough that then, well, then you'll, you'll respond to that. The idea of this is that they were sacrificing as a regular part of life so much so that you'll find in the text described that some of them were selling their properties, bringing the proceeds to the church saying, here, uh, I, and if I were to take your house or the valuation of my house, and say, okay, go sell your property, whatever the valuation is, taxable valuation is, you're going to sell it, and you're going to give the entire proceeds to the church, to Northridge Baptist Church. That's a bit of the image here. Um, Now, I want to suggest to you out of this that the giving that is noted here, that is narrated, is voluntary. It's extra beyond the ordinary. So this is rather unusual. But you did, do get the idea of, uh, of that, that sacrifice was part of their life. They, they shared to address each other's material needs. They cared about that. They showed that this particular work of grace. Uh, if you want to read a text of Scripture that's really helpful in this regard, just read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 where he talks about the grace of giving. I know Debbie and I... Uh, we really delight as we have opportunity to review our giving uh, practice through a year. 
And when we do that, then able to say, my, look at, look at the opportunities that we've had to give financially, to give of our time, to give of our resources, and to do that not merely in a miserly fashion, but rather in a sacrificial fashion. See, what made this church was it was unified and that it was sacrificing. This church was a church with magnanimous givers. You know what the word magnanimous is, don't you? That means really big. It means very large. Uh, This was a church with magnanimous ministers. And so we have note in our text about verse 36, Joseph. He's named Barnabas. And he's named Barnabas because wherever Barnabas goes... Uh, people are wonderfully encouraged by interacting with Barnabas. Uh, You'll remember James and John were known as the sons of what? Remember? They're sons of thunder. Evidently, they were loud boys. Uh, Some of you have had or have children like that. They're just plain loud. Um. In the, in, in the older days in various languages, when you called somebody the son of, you're saying that's their essential nature. Barnabas is a son of encouragement, wherever Barnabas went. And perhaps you know a person like that, that whenever you're around them, you just are profoundly encouraged. And sometimes it's very specific, but other times it's a little bit more general. Just by being with that person, that you understand that your outlook is now more positive, that you see that in spite of challenges, that faith and obedience for Christ are eminently possible. And, and Joseph here, Barnabas, is a magnanimous giver. And notice what he does. He sells his land and he brings it uh, to the apostles and says, Here, do with it as you desire. They released it wholly to the apostles' discretion. There are, and I would, want, would not want you to think merely about money here. You know what really makes a church great? Is uh, people behind the scenes often who will give meaningful, continuous, sacrificial, magnanimous ministry both in external ministry as well as internal ministry. Let me tell you a little story. I always like to brag about my dad. You, of course, never knew my dad. Uh, Gabriel didn't even know my dad. Nothing about him. He was a good deacon in a church just like Northridge Baptist Church. And one of dad's ministries that nobody knew about for a long time, there was an elderly deacon at our church who had profound Alzheimer's. He was living at home. Arthur and Wilma were their names. My dad worked midnights and uh, would come home every morning and would stop by uh, Arthur and Wilma's house every morning. And he would go in the house, let himself in. He'd get Arthur out of bed. He would undress Arthur, shower him, bathe him, dress him for the day, put him back, get him in his daytime clothes, and then he'd go home. And nobody knew about it. It was just a ministry that he could do 
that communicated his love and met a need in a family because Wilma could not do that. She could not handle uh, the the size and the bulk of her husband, Arthur. My dad was a magnanimous minister. He said, here's what I can do. It's right on my way home. I love Arthur and Wilma. Every day that I I come home from work, I can stop in and I can spend probably... it likely took anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour every day for him to do that. Now, the, the kind of ministry will change. But it's those kind of ministers that are needed in Northridge Baptist Church. People will say, there's nothing beneath me. I can do anything that, uh, that, that needs to be done. And I will be a, a, a magnanimous minister who will give everything to Christ. And then lastly, see this, that this is a great church that lived in God's presence. And I'm going to borrow a little bit. This is a peek forward. You, you'll know that right upon the heels of Acts 4.37, Acts 5.1 comes. And it's the beginning narrative of Ananias and Sapphira. It's really the first crisis of the church. <laughs> And it's interesting, the first crisis of the church is, is rank hypocrisy. Uh, because they, they, uh, they pretend, they lie, saying they, they bring a large gift, but they say this is everything we own. And, and of course, you can imagine, here, here's the requirements of being a good usher in the first Baptist church of Jerusalem. You have to be strong to carry out dead people. Because first Ananias and then Sapphira are struck dead and the ushers say, okay, get these people out of here. We need to get them, get them taken care of. And you'll notice at the end of the text, and I'm peeking forward, at the end of that narrative it said, the effect upon the church was that great fear came upon the church. Great fear, great, great respect for God came upon the church. I, I, I ask myself that question. Do, do, I have, do I have great respect for the church? Do I have great respect for God? So much so that I take care in what I say, what I think, the plans that I make, that I try to effect in daily life, that, that I pursue in my life of godliness and holiness before God. You see, the first century church was great because it was filled with a great God. Spirit of God lived in them. Great grace was upon them. He worked powerfully in that church and profoundly worked to bring them into abundant people coming into Christ. There was sacrificial ministry. There was a wonderful service to the lost world as well as service to one another. There, there were people that were large-hearted like Barnabas and gave everything they had. And then even as sin encroached upon the church, they lived with a great sense of fear of God. When, when I think about what makes a great church, it's not... It's not being known. It's not fame. It's not having a preacher that's well known. It's that God has marked this church. His grace is upon us. That there is 
the, the church individually and corporately that moves and lives in the presence of God, deals quickly with our sin, and, and seeks God's face that we have both our internal ministry and external ministry constantly functioning. So I pray for Ankeny Baptist Church. Like I said, I, I, I would speak of this more of the church that I know better than even yours. But I, I think it, it does behooves us to evaluate our own church. Are we great? Are we full of the Spirit of God? Are we experiencing the grace of God? Are we witnessing to others? Are we giving large ministry to God? Do we live in the fear of God? And if we can answer those questions well, then we may become that great church. So, Father, today, as we have opened your word, I do pray that you would give us ability to see and to understand your word and to be able to apply it properly to life. I pray for my own heart and life that you will work in my life to draw me faithfully to Christ and to even then obedient response to Christ. And so as we have gathered today, we want Christ to be magnified and that in all we do that the Lord Jesus again would be magnified. Together as a church family, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.